Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your grace. Uh, God, we thank you for laughter in this house. We thank you for joy, Lord God. And Father, I lift up this word. I know it's a continuation on a series that I started last week, and I know, and I, I know deep in my heart that this is not a word that's just been brought out of study time, although studying has been a part of this, but this is a word that has been birthed out of just a really special time with you, things that you have laid on my heart, things that you have answered as questions, Lord God, that I've been asking. And Lord, I believe it's not just for me, but it's for all of us in this season, so I'm asking that you would put an anointing on your word. Even when we just read scripture, before there's any explanation, before we even get into it and talk, Lord, I pray that there be such an anointing on the, just the reading of the word that it would just penetrate our hearts. It would move things. It would shift things. It would cause responses to well up inside of us. We'd walk away today with response to your word because you would cause it to happen and there would be desires and hunger and longings to obey and prayers that would be coming up out of us through what you would do, Lord God, this morning. Father, I pray that every point and every sentence and everything we talk about would come underneath your power, Lord. It would come in a way where you would cause your word and your, your grace to go before the things that are even being said and it would quicken the inner man. It would quicken the inner woman. Like Daniel, who was fasting through a very hard season in his life and he was given visions by God. When the angel came, he said, I'm too tired to be able to even hear and yet you brought a touch to him and you quickened him where he was able to get up and hear the word of God. We pray for that anointing this morning. There come a quickening in our spirits. Whether we're tired, overwhelmed, on the mountaintop or in the valley, Lord, there'll be a quickening in our spirit to hear what it is that you want to say and you would be able to speak. Lord, we thank you, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. E-I-E-I-O, part two. Are you ready? Turn to Psalm 126. You have your Bibles? Turn to Psalm 126. I'm going to read it in the ESV version. Psalm 126. We were in this text last week. I'm going to be reading it. And it says this, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now look what they say. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Can I read that one more time? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, 
shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, I shared a little bit last week about my time off um, right after Christmas. And I said, God just gave me this wonderful grace to spend a lot of quality time just reading and praying and communing with him. And it was a time where God had to bring some convictions. There were some things that he pointed out that needed to change. But it was also a time where God began to bring some clarity. He started answering a lot of questions that I had been asking over the last two years. And one of the things he started giving direction and definition to was how to proceed as a church in 2022. You know, many of us have been through some pretty extreme battles over the last couple years, and there is a weariness and a tiredness that's beginning to grip the church. We're all kind of scratching our heads, and we're feeling like, you know, we've done everything we know to do to, to change the trajectory of our families, to change the trajectory of our communities, of our nation, and we've kind of hit a plateau. We've hit a plateau. We, we feel like we, we don't know what else to do to be able to push back the principalities and the powers of darkness any further. And we're all looking at each other, kind of saying it, but we're not saying it. We're not speaking it with our words, but in our hearts. And we're thinking, is this all the breakthrough that I'm able to get for my family? Is this all the breakthrough that I'm able to get for our city? Is this all the breakthrough that I could get for our churches, for our congregations, for our nation, for our countries? Is this, is this everything that we're able to get? Now, with that said, God has answered some wonderful prayers in this house. We have seen miracle after miracle after miracle in this place. I'm still getting emails almost every single week from Sunday services saying, I came down to the altar and I got healed or I got touched or this happened or that happened. And it's unbelievable. It's wonderful. It's gracious. And, and I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but in the midst of that, there's this sense inside all of us that God's grace is beginning to kind of begin to run a little dry. Compared to what we're facing, God's power is like a trickle here. It's like a trickle there. And it's coming up short according to what we actually need. And all of us in this place, and I think within the church as large, is beginning to cry out just like Psalm 126 and saying, God, we need you to restore to us our fortune. We, we need you to restore us in so many different ways. Some are crying out, God, I need you to restore my joy We've lived through so many years now of just oppression and such divisiveness on such issues. And there's so much confusion. And, and I need to begin to be able to rise above that. I need, I need joy inside of my heart. I don't want to live like the rest of the world lives. I want to live according to the fruit of the Spirit. So we're praying, God, would you begin to restore my joy? Would you restore my family? Would you restore my marriage? Would you restore my business? Would you restore my finances? Would you restore my love for you? Man, we are in a season of endurance as a church. And Jesus makes it very clear that when Christians go through a season where they have to endure, there are times where our first love for God begins to diminish. He says, well, any of you, your love for me, where is it? And to be honest, we're all saying, you know what, God, I'm at a point now through so much endurance that I could go a week, I could go two weeks, I could go a day, another day, a month, whatever it might be, without ever being in your word, without ever being in a place of prayer. And I need you to restore inside of me a love for you. Do you know what God asked me this morning as I was just in prayer? praying for this service. He asked me a very personal question. This is what he asked me. 
And I felt it so deep in my spirit. I felt God say this to me. This is what he said. He said, Michael, you're about to go to Sunday service where you're going to worship me with the rest of the congregation. And you know deep down that I delight in you. I delight in you. I delight. But do you delight in me? When you come in here, are you overflowed with just the graciousness of being in my presence? Are you, what is going on in your heart? God, I need you to restore that love. I need you to restore my consecration to you. Many might be saying, you know what? I've had a lot of time at home or I've had to work from my house. I've been on these electronics and I began watching things or putting things into my spirit that I know are wrong and I begin to pollute my spirit. And God doesn't speak to us just through audible voices, although sometimes he does that, but God speaks to us spirit to spirit. He speaks to our inner man. He speaks to our inner woman. And when it's polluted, we can't hear his voice. And some of you are saying, there's so much pollution that's gone on inside of me that I can't hear the voice of God. I can't hear the direction of what he's saying. And I, I need you to restore to me my consecration. God, restore to us the years that the canker worm has eaten. But... Remember how God began to answer his prayer, the prayers of his people in Psalm 126. God didn't give to his people who were in a national crisis, get this, a miraculous deliverance the way we picture a miraculous deliverance today. He didn't restore them by just hitting them with a lightning bolt. Instead, I'm going to put this up on the screen. He gave to them a kingdom principle attached to it with a kingdom promise. A kingdom principle that attached to it, a kingdom promise. In fact, watch this. Let me put this up on the screen. We brought this up last week, but I want to show it to you again. Get this. God's kingdom operates according to kingdom principles. If we want to see kingdom power, if we want to see kingdom deliverance, if we want to see kingdom restoration, which is all part of the kingdom, then we have to embrace God's kingdom principles. And the kingdom principle that he gave to his people in a national crisis in Psalm 126 to begin to bring about restoration was the principle of sowing and reaping. In fact, look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to read verse 6 through 8 with you. Watch this. I want you to see this. I'm going to read it in the NIV because I love how the NIV translates this. This is what it says. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, I love that, not some things, all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now I said last week, I know that this passage of scripture is used by most teachers and pastors to speak about tithing, to speak about money, to speak about offering, and, and the right to do so because that's exactly what Paul is speaking about as he's writing to the Corinthian church. That, that's a right way to interpret the scripture. But... There is a deeper truth, a deeper kingdom principle that's in the midst of this writing that we as Christians have to begin to pay attention to. And what I want to do is I want to take just a few moments this morning and highlight a few things out of this scripture that I need to get to speak about last week. In fact, let's start with the first key word I want to bring up to you. Let's put, let's put it up and let's highlight it. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6-8 says. It says this, Remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 begins with a really big statement. Literally, it says, remember this. Now, now watch me. When the Bible literally writes at the beginning of a text, remember this, okay, it would be wise for us as believers to take notice of what is about to come, right? If the Bible literally writes in big letters, hey, hey, remember, remember this, I think it would be wise of us to say, you know what? I think I should remember that. You have to realize this is God telling us as a congregation, telling me, telling you, that he wants us to take action to remember what he's about to say. He wants us to remember it when times are tough. He wants us to remember it when all of our prayers are answered. He wants us to remember when we're sitting in Sunday service and the presence and the power of God is overflowing us. He wants us to remember when we're sitting in Sunday service and we don't feel a single thing. God says, I want you to be intentional to remember this. You have to make it a priority. And then here's the question. Why in the world would God want us to remember 2 Corinthians chapter 9 so badly? Why put that even in the text? Because number one, I want you to get this, because God is about to speak in the up and coming verses of a kingdom principle that's about to give us the direction of how his kingdom works in our lives and works within the church. God says, I want you to remember this because this is the key of how I work in your heart. This is the key of how I work in a congregation. But number two, he wants us to remember this because this kingdom principle, and I want you to get this, this kingdom principle operates oppositely according to the way that we naturally think and the way our hearts are naturally inclined. It is countercultural to you and to me. That's why some of us sitting here today are going to be bothered by this message because this message is about the kingdom that works in the exact opposite of how you and I naturally work. And God says, because of that, I want you to remember this. But God takes it even a step further, and then he uses another key word that should stop us in our tracks. Let me put this one up on the screen. He says this. He says, remember this. And then he says this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God says, whoever chooses to sow is ultimately going to reap. The Bible is literally saying, anybody that does this is going to get this. Anyone. Not just Pastor Michael if he sows. Not just ministry leaders if they sow. Not just those holy Christians that we look at and think are holy rollers. Not if they sow. No, 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 no. The Bible literally says, whoever chooses to sow is ultimately going to reap. And you got to let that sink in just for a second. Because you got to remember that sowing is not just for special people. It's not just for people at full-time ministry. It's not just for ministry leaders. Sowing is a kingdom principle that works throughout the whole earth. It works in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. Second Corinthians chapter nine, you can put this on the screen. Ashley literally says this, watch this. Remember, just put the two words. Remember whoever. Remember whoever. 
remember who I am. In fact, can we say that on three together so we all get this? On three. One, two, three. Remember whoever. Whoever sows is ultimately going to reap. Now, you know what I've noticed over my years of serving as a pastor and doing counseling with people and member care and then traveling and getting to go to places like Switzerland and Ireland and others and getting to preach and be with other Christians. I've noticed something in the world of believers, and this is what I've noticed. There is a lot of Christians in the church, and I want you to get this, who are believing God for a forest of joy, a forest of life, a forest of freedom, a forest of deliverance, a forest of influence, a forest of leadership, a forest of kingdom power. They're believing God for all these things. They want this huge force, and they're believing God in areas, get this, where they have never once even sown a seed. They will prophesy about it. They will declare it. They will walk out of the church and say, I'll believe it for it. But let me tell you something. The Bible says it's not enough that you just believe. The Bible actually comes back and says, belief is not enough. Belief only gets you into the field. Once you're into the field, God says, then whoever, anybody, the one who feels like they're constantly failing God, the one who's got it all, thinks they got it all together, is even prideful sometimes, whatever it might be. Whoever makes the choice to begin to sow into the kingdom of God, God says in time, they're gonna begin to reap a harvest. And the fact that the Bible says whoever sows will reap is implying that everybody, and I want you to get this, has already got seed. You can't sow what you don't have. When the Bible makes the sweeping statement and declares the principle of sowing and reaping and then says whoever sows is ultimately going to reap, the Bible is what they're saying is God has already given you seed. You already have seed in your hand that you have to choose to begin to sow. And the problem that we have, especially in this generation when it comes to Christianity, is we have Christians who have all types of seeds that God has given them and they're not sowing them. We're not sowing them into the place of the kingdom. We're not sowing them into the ground of faith. And the question then becomes why? And this is the crux of the whole message. These two points is where I'm trying to get to. There are two reasons that Christians don't sow. Number one, I'm going to put it up on the screen, and I want you to see this. Number one, they want the tree, not the seed. We all deal with this. I deal with this. You deal with this. We all deal with this. We look at the seed that God has given us. For example, the seed of influence. God's given every one of you a seed of influence. And then we look at the influence that God has given to other people. So we look at Pastor Michael, or we look at other Christians. We look at business leaders that we work for. We look for entrepreneurs, freelancers, whatever it is. And we look at the influence that they actually have. And then we begin to see, wait a second, God gave them a pulpit where they're influencing hundreds of people every week. Or God gave them a podcast where they're influencing others. It's successful and it's working. God gave them a flourishing ministry that people sign up for their classes and their seminars and they're influencing people for the kingdom. And you see all this and then you begin to realize, wait a second, God only gave me a few relationships within the church of people who need my influence. They need me to take them out to get a cup of coffee in the week, to encourage them, to speak life into them. But those seeds isn't the pulpit where I get to speak to hundreds of people every single week. It's not the harvest, it's a seed of influence. Do you see the difference? 
And the problem a lot of us have, including myself, is many times we're looking at somebody's harvest and we think that's their seed. And then we compare our seed with what we think is their seed. But what we don't realize is that the pastor or the ministry leader or the business leader or the entrepreneur or the freelance, whoever it is that we admire, they were only given seeds of influence and they spent the time sowing those seeds over and over and over and over again until God brought a harvest. I've learned this in my life. Um, the only influence God gave me when I first got saved was the two-year-olds in the Sunday school that nobody else wanted to sow into. And I don't even know how I got that influence. I ask God all the time. I was like, they want me? What, are they crazy? I don't even know how to change my clothes yet. I'm 22 years old. I wear the same thing every single day. They want me to go in there? But I took the seed of what God gave to me, just this little class of a bunch of two-year-olds. And I'd go in every Sunday and I would just sow into their lives because that's the influence. That's the seed that God gave me. And I would play and I'd hang out and it was chaos. Can you imagine me running a class, a Sunday school? I mean, an inner city Sunday school with a bunch of different kids. And I mean, there was days, I mean, the one girl peed in the corner and I didn't have the help to be able to go get because nobody wanted to sew. Nobody wanted to be in there, so I didn't have the help. So I had to figure out a way to like wrap paper towels around this girl like a diaper because I couldn't leave the rest of the kids to take her to the bathroom and I'm trying to mop it up. And I'm, well, it was just chaos. And what I would do is I'd go in every single week and I'd just love on the kids. I'd smile. I'd grab a hold of them. I'd tell them how valuable they are to God. I'd pray for them. And then I would take their boring Bible stories that they were trying to teach them because they were so boring. And I'd begin to make them into inspirational skits just on the spot. If we didn't know it's ark, I would go and I would just get a bunch of cardboard in the room and I'd make a little boat and I'd get the kids into the boat and then I'd put the other kids in the water where they were going to drown and then, and then I'd, I'd, I'd flick the lights on and off and I'd make it sound like there was a storm and I'd say, you pretend to drown, you're drowning, you're dying, God is wrath is pouring out all over you, you're safe, you're doing great, you're in the boat and then I'd bring a flashlight and I would pretend to be God and I'd shine it on them and I'd talk to them as if they were Noah and I would just do these skits, I mean it was absolute chaos, sometimes it wasn't even biblical. And every week I just go in and sew. I remember there was times no one else wanted to sew that they didn't have anybody to actually watch the kids. So I would watch as the, the leaders would come into the services and they would be looking for people. They'd be looking for people that they knew worked in the children's ministry. And I would just lift my hands. I'd say, I'm here, take me. I'll go in, I'll serve with them. I'll, I'll take what God has given me. I'll sow that seed, give it. Here, take me. I just wanted to be used. And I could be used really easily because they could spot me because I never changed my clothes. In fact, I'm not even kidding. The graphic design director, Treg McCoy, do you remember this? Treg came up to me one time later after I got married and he actually said it to me. He said, the first three years you were at Times Square Church, I thought you were homeless. <laughs> no joke. You never changed. You had the same green sweatshirt. You had the same ripped up jeans. You had the same skateboard. And I looked at him and said, no, no, I wasn't homeless. I, I actually had an apartment on Park Ave South. Like I, I lived good. I, I had a good place to live. And we would talk together and we would laugh about it, right? I did that for years. And then God took those seeds and he began to broaden my influence. He, he began to make the circle bigger. And now he asked me to work with teenagers. And I served here as a youth pastor for years with my wife. 
And what I would do is when I would get done putting all the retreats together and I'd put together all the mission trips and I'd get done with all the work that I had to do, the meetings I had to be in, the, the communication work and the graphic design and everything else, putting messages together, what I did is I took my car after the kids were done with school and I'd go pick them up with my car and I'd just hang out with them. And I would take them to batting cages and I would take them to mini pots and I would take them to go get food and I would sit and I would just listen to what they're dealing with, what they're struggling with. I'd pray with them. I'd share about my own relationship with God, my own walk, my failures, my victories, hoping to encourage them, hoping to inspire them. And I would just sit there and I would just pour into them. I was just taking the seeds of influence that God had given me and I was just pouring it into these kids. Just pouring it and pouring it and pouring it and pouring it. I would take my paychecks. My whole paycheck would go to batting cages some weeks. I would just give it to the kids. Here, here you go. And I would sow into these relationships. And for years I did that. And then God brought another reaping of influence. Pastor Gary met me one day in the hallway and he said, Michael, would you consider coming on at Springs Church as an elder over this house? And I looked at him. Elder? He said, Elder. My first response, you want to know what it was? No way. Look at you, man. You got bags under your eyes. You're starting to get a little pudgy around the midsection. I see the stress you deal with. I see the conflict. You're, you want me to sit in that room and deal with those problems? No. I'm good. I literally said that to him. I'm good. I'll stick with the young people. And then every overseer that was coming to preach at the church, I would pick up at the airport because I was the golfer. And I, was, and I liked it. I liked it because I had questions to ask. I would go pick them up. And then I would just, those poor guys, by the, time they got, by the time they got to the church, they would get out of the car like, oh my gosh, one more question. One more. They were just, I would hit them with everything. I was like, let's talk theology. Let's talk doctrine. Let's talk ministry practices. I would just go off. But I remember every overseer said, I really feel like you're supposed to do this. You got to be an elder. And I was like, What? So in time, I, I took the role on, and my influence grew in the church. And then over just a few years, two or three years, God spoke to Beth and I and said, we want you to put ministry down. God said, I want all ministry down. There's a transition coming into your life. And I didn't know what it was. Do you want to know what I was preparing for? FedEx. You la they're laughing. They're laughing. No, no, no. I was applying for applications online. I was saying, okay, this is the transition in my life. I'm going to FedEx. That's where I'm going to have my sphere of influence. That's where I'm going to go. And suddenly all the influence I had for what? The next couple months shrinked to just my wife and my kid. This is all you got. And I had to make another choice. Okay, this is my sphere of influence. So we started going on vacations together. And I spent time with them just sewing into my wife, sewing into my kid, taking them into the pool, throwing them around, hanging out, going to get ice cream, spending time. I sewed into those relationships. And they get this, after literally, I don't know how many years, from 2002 all the way up to, I think, 2015, after all these years of just sewing the influence that God was putting into my hands, suddenly elders gave me a call from Springs Church. And this is what they said. They said, Michael, Michael, you and Beth, you and Beth, we want you to come back to the church and we want you to become an elder and this is going to be an elder-run church and we're going to work together to build this church and to build the vision that God has in this place. But you and your wife, we're going to give you the pulpit and you're going to have the opportunity to speak the vision and you're going to set the tone and you're going to get to pray and we're going to give you a whole new sphere of influence. After all these years of just sowing the seeds that God had given me, suddenly a harvest began to break out. One person likes it. That's what I'm talking about. And then the funny thing is, I don't even want influence. I'd be happy sitting at home talking to nobody. I actually enjoyed my time with just my wife and my kid. 
but you don't get to pick it. God puts the seed in your hand and you start to sow. God chooses the seed and you sow. And then God begins to bring about the harvest as he sees fit. We don't sow the seed that we already have in our hands because it's a seed and not a tree. We despise the days of small beginnings. In fact, let me put something up on the screen. And I want to actually, I want you to see this. I didn't want to just preach it, but I wanted you to see it. Please get this, because this is so important. God spoke to my heart. This is what I felt he said. The business that God is putting on your heart to start, some of you are in this place and you have a business that God's put on your heart. The book that he's urging you to write, the ministry that he wants you to begin. Listen to me. God will never give it to you in a finished form. Never happens that way. He gives it to you in a form of a seed. And then you have to make the choice Do I hide the seed? Do I forget about the seed? Do I bury the seed? Or listen to me, do I find the kingdom principles of God and do I sow the seed into good soil? And do I keep sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing until it grows into what God intended it to be? It never comes in finished form. You gotta sow. You gotta, I hate using this word, but it's the truth. You gotta work. Number two, Christians don't sow their seed because they don't understand how the kingdom of God works. Genesis 8, 20 through 22, in the ESV, it says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And then look what he says in verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now, I shared this scripture last week, but I'd like to go back and look at it one more time. Remember, this is God speaking to Noah after the flood. And what God is doing is he's making a covenant with all of creation. He's making a covenant. Remember, God covenanted that he would never flood the earth again. And then what God did is he began to establish certain principles within the covenant that he was making with mankind and that he was making with creation. In fact, let's look at what God says because it's important. He says, as long as the earth is still established, what does he say? These things, these principles of the covenant, these principles of creation will never cease. And then he goes on and he says what? He says cold and heat. I understand cold and heat. I get this. You want to know why I understand cold and heat? Because I have a beautiful, beautiful wife who I love so dearly, but who will not allow me to touch the thermostat in my house. 
We practice mutual submission. There's some things that she's really great at in our marriage, and I, I submit to her sometimes when she's got, she's got those understand. But, but when it comes to the thermostat, when it comes to the tent, she don't submit to me. She tells me hands off when it comes to this, right? And then here's the crazy part. You want to hear the crazy part? I'm sorry, babe. I'm just going to air our dirty laundry. But this is the truth. The crazy part is we weren't willing to buy the house until the sellers actually installed an air conditioning unit. We negotiated for the air conditioning. It wasn't there to begin with. You want to know why I negotiated for air conditioning? Because I understood the covenant principle of cold and heat. I understood there was going to be days that the house was going to be cold. And you know what I looked for? I looked for a furnace. And I found a furnace downstairs. And I said, okay, we're going to have cold days. Because I understand the covenant principle of God all the way back in Genesis chapter 8. That there's going to be cold days and I'm going to have to heat up the house. Then I said, wait, 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 wait. It's not just always going to be cold. There's going to be days where it's hot. So I said, we got to get an air conditioning unit. Because an air conditioning unit could cool down the house. You think my wife would be in unity about this. But what I'm finding out is every single summer, I am literally woken up in the middle of the night because I am drowning in my own pool of sweat. No joke. It's literally soaked on my side. You could swim in my bed where I lie. I'm not even joking. And I have to be careful because I have to get out of the bed without disturbing my wife. Get the, du get the duvet off. Then I gotta do tippy toes, tippy toes. I don't see your tippy toes until I get out of the house. I gotta walk by my kids, make sure I don't wake them up in their room. I gotta get all the way downstairs, making sure nobody's disturbed in the house where I can find the thermostat and I could turn on the air conditioning. And every morning without fail, after I finally get up, my, my, my whole bed dries off. My wife is staring at me with the death eyes and she's yelling about how I'm wasting energy. And I'm saying, honey, I, okay, work me through this logic. We weren't willing to buy the house until the seller put in an air conditioning unit, but now that we have the air conditioning unit, you will not allow me to use the air conditioning units. She says, open a window. I'm telling you, out of all the stress we deal with in ministry and in parenting, this is the one thing we literally fight about every single week. Right? Every, without fail. So Pastor Michael, I want you to get this. He understands, ready, cold and heat. I understand the covenant principle, listen to me, of winter and summer. You want to know how I understand that? I live on Monument Hill. I know when the seasons shift. You want to know how I know? Because I have to shovel an ungodly amount of snow in my front drive. Every single time I come down here, you guys get nothing. Nothing. And then in Monument, my driveway's got like a foot. And it faces what? It faces north, right? So I can't even get the sun to help me out. I got to get out there with a shovel. I don't have enough space in the garage to put a snowblower because of my stupid motorcycles and my kids' toys. But so I get out with that stupid shovel. I dig myself out so we can get out and get down here every single Sunday to be able to come preach to you. Oh, there's a list of grievances. We can go on. But I understand the covenant principle of summer and winter. I understand the covenant principle of day and night. We learn it in elementary school. When the sun is out, it is day. When it is dark, it is night, right? But the one covenant principle that we all struggle to understand is sea time and harvest. We don't get it. Why? Are you ready? Why? Because we read it too fast. Okay, we, we act like this. Listen to me. This is what we think. We read it so quickly, we think, sea time, harvest. Okay? Sea time, 
harvest. Seed time, harvest. That's exactly how it works. Seed time, harvest, right? Now watch this. Watch what happens when you begin to read it slower. Seed, time, harvest. Did you catch that? Sow the seed, sow seed, time, harvest. You didn't get it. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. Nine o'clock was really slow, too. I thought you guys would be better by this point, but no. All right, ready? Seed, and not sparingly, seed. Okay, listen to me. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Oh, we're going to 10. Three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, 10. Time. Oh, you thought it was harvest. No, 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 time. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, two services I did this, nine Mississippi, ten Mississippi, ready? Harvest. See, the principle is that with every seed you sow, there is time attached to it. There's time, it's like a ticking time bomb. You put it into the ground and it will take time, but in time, it will blow up into something great. And the issue is, and you gotta get this, many times we as a church, we are sowing into something right now that we are not gonna see the harvest to or for for another year, two years, three years, four years in the future. And I've heard people say that to me. Pastor Michael, why are we praying so much? You know, we're not seeing the miracles. And I, and I tell them all the time, no, 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 you don't get it. You're still here. I'm pulling the seed and I'm already four to five years in the future. I'm thinking, man, in four to five years, possibly three years, whatever God chooses, whatever the time is that every ticking time bomb is put into those seeds, every prayer that we make, something's going to explode into a harvest. See, we lose the principle because we immediately think, seed time, harvest. Seed time, harvest. Seed time, harvest. And so many Christians have stopped sowing seed. And the one reason they stopped sowing seed is because they sowed the seed in the past and they thought they were immediately going to get a harvest. And when they didn't get the harvest immediately, they felt like God had either failed them or the principle doesn't actually work. But when you study the scriptures out, and I don't have time to get into all of them today, but when you really study it out, what you begin to realize what it really is, and I'll put the equation on the screen, is seed plus time equals harvest. It takes time. It takes time. You know, one of the places that we see this misunderstanding, stop Christians and stop churches, from truly sowing and sowing generously. It's not in money, although that's part of it. I'll talk about that at some point. You guys are not gonna wanna be here that week. I told you, it's gonna bother you. It's gonna mess you up. But it's not in money. You wanna know one of the places that there's such a misunderstanding about this principle that it stops Christians from sowing is in the place of prayer. 
Christians don't pray because they have a misunderstanding of this principle. That's exactly why we don't pray in the church. You know, I was walking with our executive pastor the other day and I was talking with Josh and I asked him a question. I said, Josh, how much reaping do you think we have received from the Moravian prayer meeting? How much reaping do you think in our generation have we received from the Moravian prayer meeting? Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Moravians, but Count Zinzerdorf, who was a young man who owned some property in Germany, Hernhut, Germany, he actually uh, made his property into a sanctuary where he took in 300 Moravian refugees that were under persecution in the 1700s. 300. Back then, you were coming back after the reformers, Martin Luther, everybody else. The, the Catholic Church was persecuting and everything was going on. People were being killed. And he opened up his property to these 300 refugees, these Christian Moravians, and he brought them on in. And what happened was, as they were sitting and they were spending time in the property, because that's where they live in, on August 12th, 1792, the Moravians made the decision to start a prayer meeting. And this was the decision they made. They said, we're going to pray 24 hours a day. That's what we're going to do. You think 24-hour prayer meetings started in our generation? No, no, this was back in the 1700s. Say, we're going to pray 24 hours straight. And what they did is they began to get together two or three Moravians at a time where they would take little slots in the day, little, little time slots where they would pray for one hour. So two Moravians would take one hour, then another three Moravians take another hour, another three Moravians. They did that for seven days straight. You want to know how long they went before they saw any harvest from their faith? Before they saw anything take place, they prayed like that for revival. That was the number one prayer that was going on as they were praying. They prayed like that five years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week before they, they saw the first signs of God's spirit touching the prayer meeting or touching the city that they were living in. Five years they're praying like that. And they were so touched by the Spirit of God. They were so relieved that they finally began to receive a harvest. You know what they began to do? They continued praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You want to know how long for? A hundred years straight. They just sowed, 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 sowed. They labored, sowed, sowed, sowed. So, 100 years. Listen to me, you don't pray like that unless you understand the kingdom principle that it's seed, time, harvest. Most of those Moravians, they didn't even receive a lot of the reaping from their own prayers. Most of them died as martyrs. They went to the mission field. They were so touched by God through the prayer meeting that they started going to the mission field all over the world. In fact, there's a story, a historical story, that there was a slave owner that actually owned an island off Africa, and he wouldn't let any Christians go onto the island. He wouldn't let any missionaries get there because he didn't want his own slaves to be proselyted with the gospel. So you know what the Moravians did? So touched from all their years of praying, a few of them, I think it was maybe three or maybe a few more, they went and they made a deal with the slave trader. They said this, you can have us as slaves. We will never come back. Take us and send us to the island. And he took them and put them on the island. And when they were asked, why would you go? What? This is church history. They said, because those souls needed to be saved. And nobody else was going to get there unless they sold themselves into slavery. So we went. We'll sow. We'll labor. hundred years. They didn't reap hardly anything for themselves. You know who got all the reaping? The generations that followed 
fact, I believe with everything in my heart that some of you are saved today because of that 100-year prayer meeting. You're sitting in the kingdom of God because they made the choice to sow. God makes a covenant with the earth and mankind. He legally binds himself under the high courts of heaven that whoever makes the choice to sow, especially in prayer, God attaches time to every seed. But anybody that sows, in time, it will explode into a harvest. And then God says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember, whoever whoever chooses to do this. God says the ball, get this, is in your court now. I'll empower you, I'll give you strength, but I've already made the covenant. I've established it. It's done. I'm legally bound to do it. If you sow generously, you're gonna reap generously. It's going to happen. But he comes back to all of us, but it's up to you, whoever. And then here's the reality, and this is what I want you to get, Springs Church. Because there's that choice to make, it is possible for us to go to whole generation without receiving an outpouring of God's spirit. Not because God wasn't willing to do it, but because nobody picked up the whoever. No one said, okay, if that's what it is, and you're saying I'll sow and I'll reap, then I'll sow into this generation. And there are generations where the voice of God has gone silent, where there's been no revival, there's been no sweeping touch because the people of God didn't get it. They didn't remember whoever. And as we're heading into three days of fasting and prayer, that's what God is speaking to us as a church. Whoever. Listen to me, I say this lovingly, but it's honest and it's true. This generation isn't going to receive a touch of God because of some midterm elections. If that's what you're banking on and you ain't sowing, this generation is lost. The corruption, I want you to get this, is too deep. Now, I'm not saying we don't vote in elections. Oh, I got messages. If you're not leaving the church now, wait till midterms. You'll be out. I got messages. Just being honest. I'm going to show you what God speaks to his people when it comes to politics and our role in our communities and what God is calling us to do. I'll show you. But a midterm election isn't going to change things around. Those are just our responsibilities before the throne room of God because he gave it into our hands to do what we're supposed to do. But that's not all that's going to turn it around. A president is not going to turn it around. It's when the church finally answers the call of whoever. When that happens, then our generation has a shot. Otherwise, we go another generation until one generation reads this and says, remember this? Whoa, that sounds important. Whoever? I'll be whoever. Stand with me, Springs Church. I'm going to pray for us as we close. And then again, I ask that you just be responsible over these three days of fasting and prayer, what you feel is right for your health and your situation. I'm not trying to twist an arm. You can pray at home if you need to, pray at home. But if you feel God calling you and you say, you know what, I have no problem being around people right now, then for three nights, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 6.30 to 8, we're gonna be here and we're gonna sow. We're gonna sow.
Father, I thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, I thank you that you've never abandoned any generation. (laughs) That blows my mind away. That you saw what we were going to be dealing with all the way back in the days of Noah. You saw Psalm 126, your people stuck in Babylon. You saw what the nations needed and the generations needed, the restoration. And then through, Lord God, the flood and everything that aspired out of that, you establish a covenant. You establish a covenantal principle across the earth. And then you give us Jesus, which gives us his spirit and gives us open heavens and gives us tools and giftings. And then you come back through all of this that you put together through all these dispensations and you say, whoever, you have everything you need, will you sow? You have everything you need. Will you go forward? And God, today, I can't speak for everybody in this house, but I believe that there's so many, including myself, because I know I have relationships with so many that are saying, God, yes, we will be the whoever. We will be. We'll have to change the priorities of our lives a little bit. We're going to have to make some serious sacrifices at times. But God will be the whoever. If you're saying that we'll sow now, and it might take time, we might have to labor. Lord, a farmer doesn't, doesn't live an easy life. It's, if you know farmers, and I've, I've learned this, my, my, my father-in-law, my, my brother-in-law, they're all farmers. Lord, they get up early. They sometimes go to bed late. They work all day with their hands, Lord God, but they receive the reaping when it comes. And you're saying, God, we're saying, God, it's tough and we know it, but if you'll give us the grace, you'll give us the strength by your spirit, we're answering saying, we want to be the whoever's. We want to begin in prayer over these three days. We want to say, you know what, God, these years have been hard and some of us are going to sow in tears like Psalm 126. We're going to cry for what we've lost. We're going to cry for the pain that we're feeling. We're going to cry because some of us are still under oppression and we haven't got that, but we're going to sow with the tears saying, God, we're going to come back the other end reaping in joy. We're going to reap in joy if we follow the direction you're calling us to. So God, we say yes as a church. We say yes. And God, we pray you'd prepare us for these three days of fasting and prayer. Lead us according to your mind. Lord, lead us. Show us what these three days are supposed to be. Move every schedule out of the way that needs to be moved. Let faith rise up in the heart, Lord God. And as we pray, give us that visual picture of sowing the way you've called us to sow. God, we commit it to you now. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Springs Church. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.